Ah, mon Afrique, réveille-toi. Il est midi. Tu dors encore. Réveille-toi. N'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'est fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Afrique Ananga Oyamba, toi cheveux crepus. Bah toi Mayele Bosimba Nimba Bigé. Oya Bilanga Bosimba Nimba Congo. Simba Nimba Boko Mamuna Lekate. Afrique Malobate. Mosalande. Africa, Mobali Yamingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gagnes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, Negro a souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Negro a combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. Welcome to all our listeners to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I'm your host, Patricia Lokwa, speaking to you from Baltimore with my co-host, Kambale Musavuli, who's joining me via phone. How are you, Kambale? Doing great. I'm glad we are back. We had a day uh, off uh, last week uh, due to weather, so very excited uh, to be back and bring in this very exciting show to our listeners. How are you? I'm doing good. The weather has not been nice to us uh, this year, getting all those inches of snow. You know, sometimes you just want to stay in and try to do the safe thing versus try to drive and get to Baltimore. It is a long drive. But uh, to get back on the show, we'll be focusing on exploring the intersection between the African-American community in the U.S. and the Congo. We will discuss the historical ties that exist within black missionaries who came to the Congo in the late 1800s, 30 years after the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. We will also delve into the current state of black Americans with the Black Lives Matter movement and their contribution to peace and stability in the Congo. Our guest is Reverend Dr. Joanne R. Harrell, a public theologian and strategic external communications consultant at the National Center for Biotechs in Research and Healthcare at the Tuskegee University. She will be joining us a little later. But before we get into the show, Kambale, I'm sure you have some news for us on what's happening on the ground in the Congo, if you can share that with us. The current state of affairs in the Congo is quite interesting at the moment. Now, 2016 is a very important year for the Congolese. And on Tuesday, February 16, the Congolese civil society and opposition call for a general strike of stay at home in order to send a message to the president of the Congo, Kabila, that he must respect the Congolese constitution, organize elections, and step down from power this year. Uh, the organizer chose specifically February 16th because of its historical significance of being the commemorative day of the 1992 march of Christians that called on then the dictator Mobutu to respect the will of the people. So it was a very strategic day uh, to have Congolese uh, organize a, a general strike. And this strike was actually followed by the Congolese population with uh, many Congolese staying at home on uh, February 16th uh, this week. The head of the Electoral Commission, 
uh, Kornei Nanga declared that the elections cannot be organized this year if the voter rolls are to be updated, including the estimated 7 million new voters who came of age since the 2011 election. The U.S. State Department issued a statement calling on the Congolese government to respect the rights of the Congolese people to freely assemble and express their concern, seize the harassment and jailing of opposition, and respect international human rights conventions. Uh, it said news, actually, um, about half a dozen members of the youth group called La Lucha uh, have been arrested uh, by the Congolese uh, security forces, and they are facing charges of insurrection because they carried signs calling for respect of the Constitution and democratic change in the Congo during a soccer celebration in uh, Goma, a city in the eastern part of Congo. Uh, Congolese watch closely the presidential elections in Uganda. Many of our listeners may not know that uh, Uganda is a bordering nation to the Congo, and they are holding presidential elections uh, this year. And as uh, we are watching what's happening with uh, Uganda, uh, Yori Museveni, the president of Uganda today, is seeking another term in office. After having been in power for 30 years, uh, Congolese and Ugandans are facing similar challenges in confronting, uh, confronting an authoritarian regime that seeks to remain in power. Uh, the African Union, European Union, Office of the Francophonie, and the United Nations issued a joint statement calling on the Congolese government to organize election this year, presidential election that is, in timely fashion as uh, dictated by the Congolese constitution. Our listeners may not know that Congo's constitution uh, was actually promulgated in 2006. The exact date is that on February 18th, 2006, the Congolese voted for this new constitution that Congo is using uh, in a referendum. So we just celebrated the 10th anniversary of the Congolese constitution. Although there was so much speculation about the Congolese government changing its mining code um, during the mining in Daba in South Africa, uh, Congolese minister of mine said he will keep the current code intact, which many believe it will really be in the interest of mining corporations and not the Congolese people. Natango ya pasie, hata natango malaji, ngana chale lakayo, yondelizi bangolu e, kombo monsu salite. Kaka kombo na yeswe, yango ba pesa na ngaye, tika na bele na lelo. Jezi ye, jezi ye, ako yoka ngaye, nzande na ngaye. Bele na yesu we, bele na yeho, atali kambo na yele kima yeleo. Ana bandutu na ngaye, olopela 
Kinga ye Nanzela ya basali na yo Nazuwa ba profesi Kyo nanzela nanga ye Nelibota nanga ye Ekolungwa na pasi Yango na sengi Kanisa bilaka ye Bilaka ye Nabandoto pesa kinga ye Bilaka na yo ya Bilaka ye Oh, Just listening to Bilaka by Pastor Moïse Mbia of Cité Bethel Ensemble Central, a church in Kinshasa that also has a TV channel called Radio Télé Sentinelle. The song speaks about ways of pushing away evil. Our guest today is also a reverend. She has worked closely with my co-host Kambale Musavuli and is joining us to discuss the connection that exists between the African Americans and the Congolese, especially in the context of religion. Indeed, Patricia, Reverend Horella has been a very long time uh, friend of the Congo, uh, supporting the Congolese people in uh, her network, in, in the spaces that she is in. Uh, but first, our listeners really need to know that Reverend Horel is a public theologian and strategic external communication consultant at the National Center for Bioethics in Research and Healthcare at the Tuskegee University. Her scholarship explores the intersecting of media, public health, religion, xenophobia, racism, sexism, classism, and the history of the African-American church. She's a graduate of the Columbia University uh, Graduate School of Journalism, senior associate editor of the Journal of Healthcare, Science, and the Humanities, founder of RacismContradictChristianity.com, and an award-winning broadcast journalist and documentary producer. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that she is a supporter of the Congo, but she was also the director of public communication for Trinity United Church of Christ, a uh, major uh, African-American church here in the United States, uh, located in Chicago. Uh, but while she was there, she researched, created, and wrote and developed multimedia communications uh, content. But within this context, 
is how she became a proactive member of the Friends of the Congo movement. She collaborated with Friends of the Congo and Disabled Museum here in Chicago to feature the forum of the film Crosses in the Congo to educate the public domain about the atrocities impacting children, women, men, and families in the Congo. Well, let's hear from our guest, Reverend Harrell. Welcome to our show. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. I am uh, honored to be with you in conversation about the, um, unfortunately, about the atrocities that are occurring in the Congo. Thank you for the opportunity to enjoy, uh, join you in this conversation, and I look forward to uh, hopefully initiating more conversations that would cause an end to the horrible conflict, which is being referred to as the worst conditions since uh, World War II uh, within the context of the killing of more than 5.4 million people. Yes, Reverend Harrell. Um, I'm fascinated also uh, by knowing actually how did you come to know what's happening in the Congo? I came to know what was happening in the Congo working, first of all, when I was beginning my um, international work as a journalist. Uh, I had received a uh, fellowship to work at, at the ABC News Bureau in London, England and uh, was introduced via my work uh, because of research about the conflicts in the Congo and Liberia, as well as later on working for an international uh, multi-communications public affairs company. I had the responsibility also for conducting research and traveling to certain parts of the world, which also engaged uh, my skill set as well as uh, my faith um, at the time, I had not entered seminary, but because of my interest with regards to the inhumane treatment of people on the continent of Africa, uh, that is how I, I started my work, which also led me to, uh, after working for more than uh, 18 years as a journalist and in international public communications, when I entered seminary, at the Interdenominational Theological uh, Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, where I received my Master's of Divinity degree and went on later to receive a doctorate at Chicago Theological Seminary. I continued to, to write and to be proactive in um, encouraging and uh, as well as inviting and working on behalf of churches and particularly on behalf of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago. Okay to get uh, to work with the leadership there, with Dr. Uh, Otis Moss III, my colleague, uh, to um, have Trinity to become an official member of the Friends of the Congo Social Justice Movement. Um, Reverend Harrell, I, you know, I had the opportunity to get know, to know more about you just with uh, Kambale's excitement of, you know, he was sharing with me the history of the Tuskegee University and the connection to Booker T. Washington and him, um, William Shepard being his student. Can you share with me a little bit more of that history and how it's connected to the Congo? Yes, uh, I'm very um, excited to share this with you because in my work, and I will say as a person of, of faith, uh, that you, um, uh, and within the context of, uh, of um, 
the African theologian, South African theologian John and Beatty, that life is holistic. And so, in my work um, here at uh, in the National Center for Bioethics in research and healthcare, I discovered that um, William Shepard had been a student of Booker T. Washington um, when William Shepard was studying at the Hampton Institute. William Shepard would work during the day uh, as, a, uh, as a barber, and he had other jobs, and he would go to night school, attend night school at Hampton Institute, which was, at that time, Booker T. Washington was an instructor at Hampton Institute before moving to um, Tuskegee, Alabama, to uh, be a founder of, Tus- of the Tuskegee Institute, which mm. is now known as Tuskegee University. And so, therefore, there is this connection, if you will, of two men who both who were born miles, uh, only I think 76 miles apart from one another at different mm. times, different years. But uh, uh, Harold, uh, excuse me, Dr. Washington was born in Hales Ford, Virginia, mm-hmm. which is 76 miles west of Waynesboro, Virginia, where William Shepard was born. And they would find themselves, both men, born on the continent of the United States, but born, they were a part of slavery, mm. enslaved black men who later regained, who gained their freedom and therefore went on to work for the betterment of the people of, of enslaved Africans as well as enslaved Africans of descent uh, in the United States and in the Congo. So how, how did you? How do you have uh, William Shepard ending up in the Congo? How does that happen? It is my understanding, uh, based on research, that William Shepard was uh, later in life had become a uh, member of the Presbyterian Church, who at that time, during the late 1890s and early 1900s, the Presbyterian Church. Uh, had been, uh, I would say, a portion of the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. known as more so as the northern portion of the Presbyterian Church, uh, had accepted, uh, uh, allowed uh, African Americans to be, and at the time, of course, they were not called African Americans, but for our contemporary discussion, I will mm-hmm. refer to them as African Americans, but they were known as free blacks. They were uh, allowed to become a part of the uh, religious polity, if you will, of the Presbyterian Church, Presbyterian Church, and William Shepard um, was, uh, while he was at Hampton Institute, a student. He was introduced to the people of the Congo, and well, at that time it was known as the Congo Free State, and even though it was under the horrific. Um, colonialized leadership and impressive leadership of King Leopold, uh, Mr. Shepard was basically, um, I, you could say he petitioned in within the context of the polity that was required for mm-hmm. the Presbyterian Church and asked if he could become a missionary mm-hmm. uh, to the Presbyterian Church. He was, um, and at the time when he... Um, he petitioned. He was actually a minister in the South, in the Atlanta area, 
um, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and but yet he was denied approval to represent to become a Presbyterian missionary in the Congo, and it was because of a European, a person of European descent, a white male who was wealthy and a member of the Presbyterian Church, Mr. Lapsey, that with his support, he was able to, um, and I say he, meaning uh, William Shepherd, was able to travel to the Congo, and because of um, hardship and work, and dedication and commitment, and was finally able to start uh, a mission work that lasted for uh, 20 years in the Congo. Uh, It's quite fascinating, that uh, story, too, because uh, we've uh, shepherds, you know, being a student of uh, Bukati Washington, who was also a member of the Congo Reform Association, who Bukati Washington himself even wrote an article uh, I think it was called Cruelty in the Congo Country. Exactly. Um, and I always compare him, uh, no, I don't know if it's a right comparison, that Booker T. Washington is uh, the Jesse Jackson of that time, uh, just in the name context that no, But he chose to use his platform at that time to lift up the story of the Congo and to inspire um, a, a free black man um, William Shepard to travel to the Congo and bring others letters. So that's quite a fascinating uh, story. But um, I wanted to uh, get into the discussion around that community of African Americans who traveled uh, during the time. You know, specifically Maria Fearing. But before yeah, we hit no. that, I wanted to mention that uh, William Shepard traveled with his wife and. Lucy Gant Shepard, an African-American woman as well, a black woman, who is actually historically the first person to translate a Congolese language into English. She translated Chiluba. But Maria Fearing's story is um, quite inspiring, and I hope you can help our listeners in understanding more uh, why even her story is relevant today. What should people know about Maria Fearing? Yes, exactly. And I'm I'm chuckling because uh, only because of excitement, because (laughs) it is just so amazing how there, there are intricate and specific ties between the state of Alabama within the context of Tuskegee University and uh, African-American former slaves, uh, uh, Booker T. Washington and Maria um, Fearing, located here in Alabama, and then William Shepard and his wife, because both of them studied at what is now known as uh, Stillman College, and that is where they met. Um, And so Maria just... uh, particularizing the story for Maria about Maria Fearing is that she uh, was a had been a slave in Gainesville, Alabama, which is about three hours west of Tuskegee University. And at the age of 33, she went on to, she decided to, to go to school after she became a freed woman from slavery. And she w- learned how to read and write and uh, became a member of the Presbyterian Church and petitioned uh, at the age of 52 or 53, I believe, to become a missionary. And uh, she was denied um, support 
to become a full-time missionary by the Presbyterian Church because of classism and sexism, if you will, and ageism, because they said that she was too old of a person uh, to become a full-time seminary, uh, missionary for the Presbyterian Church. But after selling her house and receiving support from men and women uh here in the state of Alabama, uh, particularly from Talladega College, she went on and she was able to join William Shepard after she had witnessed him uh, presenting and speaking about the need for people to go to the Congo to help the people of the Congo. She went to the Congo and she worked uh, worked uh, full-time on her own as a volunteer missionary and then later, because of her hard work and dedication, uh, she was actually recognized as being a full-fledged uh, Presbyterian missionary and then start receiving money from the Presbyterian Church. She lived and worked in the Congo for about 20 years, and during that time she even founded a, um, a basically an orphanage, if you will, for young girls and women in the Congo. And she was known as the mother from the West because she worked hard and gave love and educated uh, young girls, women and men in entire communities within the context of, of the Congo. I think um, as I listen to you and some of our listeners uh, who may be listening, um, when you look at the average African-American, there's a huge disconnect when you see the African-Americans and the Africans who happen to be in the continent of Africa. And one of my great men- mentors, uh, Paul Humphrey, spoke to me about the importance of the church and the movement that happened during the apartheid in South Africa. How relevant is the church right now in connection to what is happening to the Congo and what role can they play to really help, um, you know, as we look at what you know, William Shepard did and so forth. Like, how can we encourage African-Americans and the different churches to really support what is happening in the Congo today? I think that it is um, imperative that uh, persons of faith, whether they are uh, persons in the pulpit, the, the pastors, or lay persons in the church, must come to the realization that as historically we are of African descent and within the context, if you will, of our belief in God's love, that we are should be committed to the humane treatment of not only persons here in the United States, but the black church is a global church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is God's church that works within the context of God's love for humanity and that we have an obligation to, particularly within the context of social justice, to be responsible and working on behalf of the freedom of our brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa who are currently experiencing uh, rape, assault, uh, enslavement, and oppression. Uh, In the words of Dr. King, uh, we say it so often, but how often does the church, uh, we have to take a critical look, if if the church is practicing these words every day that um, injustice anywhere is and basically an affront and I'm paraphrasing to justice everywhere that we must be dedicated 
to ensuring freedom, justice, and equality, and quality of life for all persons. And on that note, let's take a quick break, and then we'll pick it up from there. in this conversation to call us by calling 410-481-1010 and you were just listening to the gospel singer Mama Lydia 
Singing Seyo, in this song she affirms that our being on this planet is a result of God's will. And welcome back on the show, Reverend Harrell. Thank you very much. I had a, a question for you. I was thinking about some of the things that you've just mentioned before we went on to uh, a break. Um, when you say life is holistic and um, our connection to being there for others and helping others, what exactly do you mean by life is holistic? Meaning, uh, taking first off, uh, looking, taking a close read of the word whole, meaning the entire being of one's essence, the entire um, existence of one's life, that we cannot, our lives, whether it's regarding uh, economics, politics, uh, our faith, our, our spirituality, and just day-to-day living, that none of that can be separated or placed into components. Uh, unfortunately, in society, because of, of um, monetary greed and the need for political power within the context of just from a human perspective, historically, Men and women, but more so because of patriarchy, men, uh, the world has existed uh, through the lens of that life can be separated, that that our daily lives are lived in components. They're lived financially, they're lived spiritually, and they're lived um, politically. But holistic means that we live, we need to live, and we should live. We, our lives are, is, is one, our life, my life, your life is one holistic component. Mm -hmm. That politics, spirituality, financial needs, all are one. I see. So, you've worked with media, Um, you work extensively with media, and right now you are um, working at Tuskegee, even looking. in, in my view, how media affect us in the society, looking at the different intersection. In particular, uh, what, what is your take on media, on the way they cover the stories of, uh, one, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. and two, uh, the crisis in the Congo? And if you see some similarities in the way media portrays both, um, move, uh, both, both challenges and movements. As a, uh, as a cultural critic of media, uh, I take a hermeneutic lens of suspicion, meaning a critical lens at, um, I guess, three components. First of all, the reality of colorism, which means the, the, the act of prejudice um, based on the color of one's skin, Second, the issue of racism, uh, the discrimination against a person's race, uh, their race that has been defined by society. And so now we're talking about the, the within the context of Black Lives Matter, uh, the race is the, are members of the African-American community. Within the context of uh, the Congolese community, on the continent of Africa, uh, race would be the Congolese, the black 
Congolese people and how they're being treated. And first, uh, the first part of the question, uh, media is the Black Lives Matter movement became uh, known uh, and their movement was initiated, if you will, because um, the usage that young women, particularly, and men realized the power of social media. And when um, uh, Trayvon Martin was murdered, that that is when the, the word went out, so to speak, about the need for people to pull together here in the United States. And because of social media, it became known around the world that uh, innocent young children and adults who were black bodies uh, were being killed by uh, unarmed innocent young men, girls, women, and men were were being killed by armed persons, by police officers, and by uh, civilians such as uh, Zimmerman because of their presence of their black bodies and that their black bodies were considered an affront or considered also and labeled societally as a dangerous person. Now, we take a step across, if you will, to across the ocean to the context of the Congolese people. The, it has been presented in media uh, that, uh, and historically, that the people of Africa, all people of Africa, they're dark-skinned, that this is a, uh, considered a lesser developed part of the world, and that the, particularly in the Congo, that the uh, black African people are, ha- are ignorant, they needed leadership, um, and that their, their um, um, land was colonialized and imperialized because historically they needed help. They did not know how to take care of themselves. And we fast forward to the 20th and the 21st century, and although we know that this is not true, but um, there have been um, many mediums that have reported the atrocities of colonialism and imperialism and, and oppression that still continues to exist because of the mining of uh, the minerals that are used for smartphones and computers, and children, men and women are being raped and losing their lives. This is what is being presented in the media mm. um, uh, by other mediums, if you will. But majority of the time, within the context of traditional media, the, uh, we rarely hear about the stories where people in the Congo, young people and other people, um, older members of the Congolese community, are working on a day-to-day basis with regards to education and liberation, uh, as well as democratic, trying to carry out democratic values. So I think that, uh, with that said, that we also need to bring into the discussion how persons even though um, they may not be a part of an official network or newspaper, Mm -hmm. but yet 
as we've seen in other movements, particularly the conservative movement here in the United States, that persons, because they write, they blog, they communicate, they write scholarly um, articles, that they are considered uh, members of the media or they are, yeah. are, are uh, providers of information. So I am one who purports that um, we, as persons who are concerned, and with, I would just speak from my, uh, within the context of my theology, that it is imperative that, as a theologian, I must interact with public issues of contemporary society. And for me, as a uh, black woman, then one of um, my main interests is how people of color, particularly people of African descent, but I'm concerned about all people, but most, uh, for me, particularizing that, how black bodies are treated here in the United States and around the world. Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, in, I think you mentioned uh, citizen journalism, um, having um, the people affected by those issues write and provide a platform for them to also be seen as journalists. Um, around another context, how can we uh, connect these communities? Um, I'm, I've been very interested in figuring out ways to connect the African-American community with the Congolese community and African people as a whole, uh, especially in light of what happened um, this past week with the Grammys, when we have an artist such as Kendrick Lamar, uh, being on stage and ending his video with the continent of Africa, and he says Compton. Um, that's great imagery. But on a day-to-day -day basis, with our network, what I advise? Uh, what is the advice you will provide to both uh, the African descendants on the American continent in the United States, as well as Africans and Congolese, to find this intersection of collaboration for the liberation of? people of color around the world. I think that we it 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 is necessary for for us those of us who are here in the states and on the continent we know that we have relationships with uh, with people such as yourself with friends of the Congo that there needs to be an intentionality of day-to-day -day communication and developing um, strategies, communications media strategies, if you will, uh, uh, for the 21st century. And what does that mean? That means having consistent messages via social media, whether it's uh, being intentional about creating videos that show the commonality between the plight of using, if I use, can use your, your part of your question that you asked me minutes ago, of showing the connection between the Black Lives Matter, the need for the Black Lives Matter movement, and the atrocities of the killings of uh, young children, women, and men in the Congo. Uh, there needs to be an intentionality of, of, of people coming together um, in the United States and from the Congo, perhaps in the United States as well as going to the Congo, to, to show the connection. Um, 
there needs to be a and 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 oftentimes what happens unfortunately that uh, meetings will be held and discussions will be held but and we'll talk about actions that are needed mm-hmm. but the actions are not followed through yep. so now is the time it's past time that we need to have real tactical actions to be followed through and let's not get caught up into um, someone or a particular group or groups receiving 15 minutes of fame mm-hmm. for statements that are made or even for for actions that are carried out. But let's be like a William Shepard and Maria Fearing uh, and Booker T. Washington and Sojourner Truth, we can call the role. Let's be intentional about how we work together on a consistent day-to-day basis. And and also take into consideration that this work involves all persons of all ages. It has to be a an intentional, intergenerational, interfaith work. We cannot afford to not work with persons who do not look like us, mm-hmm. nor perhaps who may sell, who may practice a different faith because all faiths come together in the commonality of love and compassion for one another. And if we can take a short break and we'll be right back. Lexus, why chicken? Le Congo est fort. Le Congo est riche. Mais le Congo est faible. Ok. Parce que le Congo est divisé. La preuve qu'un pays peut se perdre entre deux lignes. Et son hymne. Yeah. On se retrouve enfermé derrière une porte ouverte. La paix compte ses plumes. Depuis que la guerre a pris des ailes. L'air sans réduire nos rêves. Vie d'hospice dans un pays palace. D'office coupable, la justice est lâche. Sur les silences, t'as tué la parole. Y'a plus d'oreilles qu'il y a des murs, des bugs, nos sons choquent. Ils ont s'échappent. Le cours de l'or sur les crimes en cours. Sur des pertes faites bénévoles. Corps sur table et ronde. Des aigles feintes d'être rossignol. La paix au bout de la langue, des armes au bout des ongles. Nos cris pour ces surdoués demeurent muets. En clair écrit sur visage et ventre, nos démons ont Les torchiques d'aveugler des visionnaires. Écorchés, vifs, on tient le coup d'être ailleurs. D'ailleurs, plus qu'un constat, l'échec est une leçon. La guerre est une mauvaise réponse à des bonnes questions. On vit après la pluie, crache pas sur le beau temps. C'est planter l'avenir entre charnier et coltan. Énorme et le chantier, sommes-nous pas des titans? Le temps pris entre Occident et Orient Résistant, l'espoir en scarifie sur le torse Au-delà de la foi, on sait notre sort au bout de la pioche Des larmes en sueur au bout de la course Au bout de la nuit, le soleil pour tous, c'est son réveil Sonne la cloche Pour l'histoire, le présent est piégé L'amnistie devra se justifier Aux amnésiques à qui je dédie ce son La guerre est une mauvaise réponse à des bonnes questions Congo Congo, y'a le monde Et toi le seul t'aidera Et toi le seul t'aidera Bokoyo, Bongo 
kosala kimya yango yo monga kosala kimya yango yo monga kosala kimya yango yo koko yo kongo achaksesu monga kosala kimya yango yo monga kosala kimya yango yo monga kosala kimya yango yo notre soirée triste Lexus Wenja dis-moi s'il y a la paix au Congo et que les Congolais sont unis le Congo donnera la voix au reste de l'Afrique. Comme tu sais, il y a ceux qui écoutent, il y a ceux qui comprennent. And we want to welcome back our listeners who are listening to Congo Live today. And for those who want to participate and you don't have the number, the number is 410-481-1010. And you were just listening to Osilape, Choose Peace, by Congolese rapper Lexis Legal. In this song, he collaborates with Burkina Bay artist Tike Ja. And I'm sure I'm probably not saying it right, Kambali. Lexis explains the potential of the Congo and why it's important for Congolese to unite and to choose peace. And welcome back to the show. Is everyone there? Yes. Uh, yes. And Kambali, are you there with us? Um, we've, uh, I was still listening to the song. Um, and it's a great segue <laughs> yes, to our next part, um, specifically around collaboration. Uh, and I've been very humbled uh, by uh, Trinity United Church of Christ and its um, outpouring of love for the Congolese people. And I wanted you, uh, Reverend Arel, to kind of share, uh, take us into the journey of uh, Trinity, you know, and uh, their commitment uh, to justice, especially for our Congolese listeners who may not know Trinity United Church of Christ, and also their commitment uh, to peace and justice for African peoples, uh, historically and also contemporary with the, the case of the Congo. Yes, well, first of all, let me say that um, while working at Trinity United Church of Christ as the Director of External Public Communications, and what that uh, means is that it was my responsibility because of my ministry and scholarship in the intersecting of, of media, public affairs, and social justice uh, within the context of spirituality, that um, I would work uh, with, uh, in sync with Dr. Otis Moss III, the senior pastor of Trinity, to work uh, with regards to uh, uh, issues in the context of the need for social justice. Uh, and for Trinity's history, Trinity has, uh, was founded during the days of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, when persons ask the question of what it means to be black and Christian. And uh, it is because of the legacy of the church uh, through uh, Reverend Kenneth Smith uh, and other pastors, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, who was the leading, uh, the senior pastor before he retired, uh, um, that Dr. Jeremiah Wright was um, the first person, the church, first church, if you will, and the first person to, uh, and the only church to place a sign supporting 
and the anti-apartheid movement uh, regarding South Africa. Uh, Trinity United Church of Christ has uh, a history of always being concerned and being at the forefront of social injustices in the United States, on the continent of Africa, and around the world. And I humbly state that uh, because um, I did not grow up in Trinity United Church of Christ, but I was called to work there in the year 2008 uh, and worked there at Trinity in the capacity as the external uh, direct, director of external public communications uh, for almost uh, for uh, up until uh, two years ago. And with that said, um, while working at Trinity and, and doing the work of being, uh, trying to stay in contact with issues that impact the people of African descent and all persons of the world, um, I continued as I shared earlier in my interest and concern for the people of the Congo and uh, went into a discussion with Dr. Moss about the Friends of the Congo movement and how that Trinity should add this to the list, if you will, for uh, to engage within the context of there are two ministries. Uh, well, first of all, just the general ministry, social justice ministry of the church, but mm-hmm. particularly for the African uh, ministry at Trinity and the uh, Ministry for Church and Society, that these are issues, theological issues, uh, that the, the, the theology and spirituality of Trinity needed to interact with what was happening in the Congo. And so we decided to have uh, uh, Friends of the Congo Sunday, which means that our liturgy reflected, uh, and it continues to do so, reflects uh, different Sundays, reflects the liturgy of uh, the French uh, language, and maybe sometimes perhaps uh, uh, there are also times when um, discussions and seminars are held, as well as uh, in Kumbali, you can talk about your most recent visit to Trinity, um, uh, bringing uh, leaders of the uh, Congo movement, if you will, to Trinity. So there is not just a Sunday uh, reminder. There is a day-to-day reminder because there are even days when people fast, if you will, from using their telephones uh, because of the the mineral that is used that is extracted from the land of, of the Congo and that is used uh, for persons by persons. But yet, because of that extraction, then uh, the lives of men, women, and children are abused, and sometimes uh, murdered. Absolutely. So, Kambali, can you talk about what you've experienced through the way you and I, I introduce myself to you, if you will, and then later introduce you to uh, Dr. Moss and other members of Trinity to continue to have Trinity involved on a day-to-day basis with the uh, Friends of the Congo movement? Absolutely. We have like about 30 seconds uh, left for the show. So what I could say is that I've, I've been humbled uh, by seeing the dedication of our pastor most of the Congolese people. Having even done a sermon uh, that was posted online that many Congolese inside and outside of the Congo have seen, you know, seeing a black pastor in the United States uh, having a sermon in his church uh, saying what's happening in the Congo was very 
uh, moving to Congolese and many Congolese around the world, I'm sure they have expressed in many ways uh, they thanks to um, the church, uh, to the team there, and uh, for me, to you, um, and to the whole church community for lifting up the story of the Congolese people since many do not know, and lifting it up from the context of uh, justice and liberation theology and why it's important for ordinary people uh, to come uh, the side of the Congolese people, as Patrice Lumumba said uh, before he left us in 1960. And I want to thank you so much for all the work that you do, Reverend Dr. Joanne R. Harrell. And uh, we look forward to having you again on the show. And thank you for giving us your wisdom. And you inspire me to do more. And I'm sure you've already have been inspiring Kambali because he talks so highly of you. And we want to thank you for joining us today on Congo Live. Uh, thank you very, very much again. It was uh, an honor and I'm humbled to to be available to to serve. Thank you. And I bid wisdom and peace to and love to everyone. And God bless you. And thank you to our listeners who are listening today on Congo Live. And we want to encourage you to join us next week on Saturday at 2 o'clock. And we'll be back on Congo Live. And thank our producer, Lubangi Munyanya, and my co-host, Kambale. Thank you for just being my sidekick and always uh, pulling us through. Namboka mopaya, nania sungayo, pasina pasie, nakei, kasilubi na kosonga.